All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 132 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. Uh, an early uh, Friday morning uh, for us after an overtime at Battle of Alberta. And uh, just like in 1991, in a clinching game, in overtime, on the road, the orders win. This time, Connor McDavid, who by his own account felt like he just didn't have it uh, that he would like uh, in game five. But uh, his running mate picked him up. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl continues to uh, break his own NHL record. He had five consecutive games of three points, three plus points in every game against the Flames, 17 in the series. Ties Rick Middleton in 1983 for the most points uh, to the first five games of a series. Middleton, of course, they went seven. He ended up with 19, which is the NHL record. And Frank, it was a, it was a record-breaking series. Uh, lots of records broken, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, it was craziness. And, uh, you know, the Edmonton Orders, um, they surprised a lot of people. I, I, I thought nobody could have a, a short series victory here. But uh, lo and behold, the Edmonton Orders find themselves the second team into the conference finals uh, after the two-time defending champs. I just want to tell everyone and admit that I was wrong. I believe on the pod, I don't know, 10 days ago, whenever the series was getting rolling 12 days ago, saying that I thought the Flames had a chance to make this a short series, if any of the two teams. And we all thought heading into this series, I think universally, that Calgary was the deeper team up front. 
um, that they had the better goaltender. Perhaps you could even make the argument that they had the better defense core when everyone was healthy. And I couldn't have been more wrong. And, and I, I give all the credit to the Oilers and their, their buy-in because that team showed a maturity level that I didn't know existed. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later with our guest in Ray Ferraro and talking where that maturity level comes from. But for a team that had squandered some pretty big spots and positions in that first round series, they really seemed to learn their lesson. And what amazed me the most, like, you know, we'll talk about the legend of Leon and, and the magic of McDavid and really how the entire battle of Alberta, 45 goals left us breathless. But a lot of it is the way that no matter what happened, whether they were down four or five goals in game one or down three or two, the flames blew a two goal lead. They had a two goal lead in all three of their home games. I mean, the Oilers, even if Calgary was in the lead, the Oilers were never out of control of the game. They were never able to, uh, the Flames were never able to take it over and hold it and sort of keep it to themselves. The Oilers always had an answer. And that's the part that I didn't see coming. Yeah, it was, uh, you're right. It was impressive. They, they, they were down four goals in game one and actually tied it before they lost and overcame a 2 nothing deficit six minutes in in game two and 2 nothing deficit again uh, in game five. Uh, impressive dry subtle uh, and McDavid. And, and now they get to rest, Frank. And they will sit and watch. And we have, because uh, honestly, I thought maybe the game of the playoffs was game five, Colorado, St. Louis. That game to me was, it had everything. Like Colorado was just all over them in the first period. And I know they were up to nothing, but Billy Huso, the two saves that he made, one on Josh Manson on a two-on-one shorthand, and, and then the one on Rantanen, and you could tell Rantanen's reaction was like, you got to be bleeping kidding me. Um, that kept them in the game, and they found a way to battle back. And then, you know, they tie that game. But then Nathan McKinnon scored probably the greatest goal of this playoffs that I've seen. It was unreal. There's what, 257 left in the game. That should have been game over, right? Like for the Blues not to just fold there and just and like emotionally be spent. They tie it and then they win it in overtime. Like, man, I give the Blues a ton of credit. And, you know, I still think Colorado can win the series. But now there's a little bit of, well, geez, if the Blues win game six, man, who knows? But that, like that's that the winner of that one. Like, I think a lot of people want McDavid McKinnon. But, man, talk about two different styles. The Blues are, a, are how they play is a, I honestly think is a worse matchup. It sounds strange than than Colorado is for Edmonton and how they play below the top of the circles in the in the the offensive zone that would give Edmonton trouble. I agree. I actually think Colorado, not only would it be a more entertaining series against Edmonton, but it would also be potentially a more favorable matchup just in the sense that some of the mistakes that Colorado makes too, like they they're so aggressive in terms of their rush and getting up ice that sometimes they're using four players in that rush. And if there's a turnover, the Oilers with their speed can make it really interesting going the other way with odd man chances. And you also look at Edmonton's regular season record against the abs. Like they, they fared quite well. 
Yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, every game was close and, you know, shootouts, obviously there's no such thing. There's no three on three overtime in the playoffs. So, you know what, it'll, it'll be a matchup. And then meanwhile, you've got Tampa Bay just sitting at home, uh, you know, probably hoping that the Homer series continues. And I know we'll get into that uh, uh, with Ray Frank uh, about the, uh, the Rangers and Carolina. And I just, I'm still stunned that a team can only win at home and, and can't win on the road. Like it's mind blowing to me. It's exact same team. It doesn't, you know, everybody else is winning or losing them, but there's Carolina. And like that, nah, you know what? We're we're good. And it's and the thing is, like, it's not that they're just losing and winning. It's such different fashions. Like they're dominated at home, and then they're getting crushed on the road. Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, the styles of their game is so totally different from home to road. It it, it doesn't it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. Um, I just think that at some point that Carolina defense is they're just the Rangers aren't going to get through that and. They've done a pretty good job, a really good job at home. They've been less effective, obviously, on the road. Part of that, I think, has been somewhat matchup dependent. It's also been, and and Ray, we'll touch on that with Ray as well, but just to see the difference in style between that series and what's going on out here in the West, like it's, it's two totally different brands of hockey. And I'm, I'm always fascinated to see how they clash because it, 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 by usual standards, Jay, and you know, this, the West is usually a little bit tighter. There's usually less space in the West. And it seems like both Carolina and New York at varying points are grinding through the buck. Oh my goodness. Like you watch the difference. If you watch the early game to the late game last night, it was night and day as far as chances. Like the Rangers had what 15 shots. Like they had 11 shots halfway through the third period, 11 in in a game that ideally you you know you win now you're going home to to wrap up the series so it has definitely been much more tight checking the, the the hurricanes are just all over you every shift and you know we'll see um the difference that i've seen ray though like if you look at the edmonton series their best players in edmonton were their best players by far right mcdavid drysidel kane hyman nugent hopkins you know uh, mike smith when he needed to be uh you know the order's top defenders were really good but then you you look at the uh, at the rangers and to me i the the deeper you go, you can't win if your best players aren't there. So I'll be curious to see uh, if the big guys uh, show up. So uh, why don't we uh, why don't we, we'll get to Tyler Ramchuk and we'll get to some uh, some off season uh, talks about non playoff teams. But uh, let's get to uh, our good buddy Ray Ferraro. <laughs> Excited to have uh, our next guest on the uh, program. Of course, he is uh, currently one of the uh, best, if not the best, uh, color analysts in the National Hockey League. He was a—he's a rare breed. He's a draft pick of the Hartford Whalers back in uh, 1982. Of course, played uh, o- almost uh, 1,300 uh, NHL games. Uh, scored over 400 goals. Uh, has 900 points. Ray Ferraro joins us. Razor, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm a little tired. Um, I'm in the East. Stayed up and watched the overtime. Uh you know, game five and, um, man, these series are played a lot different east to west. I'll tell you that, that, uh, oh. that, that track meet in, in Alberta was something to watch. And out here it's, um, it, it, there's just, there's no room. It's just like grind and check. And, um, but I'm good. I'm good. It's fun to do these games. 
Oh, yeah. Having, uh, having played that, uh, that type of hockey for the, uh, the Wheat Kings and the Winterhawks, right? I'm guessing uh, you are watching that uh, maybe with a little bit of envy, but also with a guy who, who understands, uh, you know, how, how it is to get hot early in a playoff series like Evander Kane, you know, one of the few guys who's had uh, uh, 10 goals uh, that early in a playoff series. Just we want to get to the East, but quickly give me your thoughts on, on the overall play of the Edmonton Oilers and uh, your expectations of them, uh, regardless whether they play Colorado or St. Louis? Well, it's hard to summarize the Oilers in that series in one statement. It was like there was eight different things that were happening kind of all at the same time. Like the, you know, the first game was so wild. I, you know, I, I mean, it would be hard to find a playoff game with worse goaltending at either end of the ice than game one. And it was at both ends at the same time. Like it was a calamity. And then, you know, so now that you got to fight your way back in the series, I think what impresses me most about the Oilers is there's, um, there's an ability to buy into a harder way to play. And as, as per example, Florida didn't quite get that. They didn't get the message yet. And three years ago, Tampa didn't get the message and Columbus kicked them to the curb. And it's hard to play in the playoffs and you have to play some games the way you don't want to play. And so I, I, I think that's what has impressed me about Edmonton. It's not always pretty, right? Like Mike Smith can be great or he can be flopping around all over the place and he's out of the position and the, and the net fills up, but then he just like grinds his way back into it. And I, and of course, they've got the, you know, they, they've got a, a half a dozen players just playing just incredible hockey to watch. Incredible, you know, from Hyman to Kane to Dreisaitl to, of course, McDavid. It's just, it's really, really an impressive run. Now, what, who are they going to play? Who's it going to be next? I mean, I think everybody probably wants to think of McKinnon and McDavid playing, you know, head to head and what that might look like. But what if it's not? The best part is they get a few days off. They can rest. Leon Dreisaitl set a few NHL records in that series. Mm-hmm. And to me, the most impressive uh, five games, he scored three points in every game. Uh, the NHL regular season record is six straight. And that's when you're playing different teams, right? You know how it is. Like everybody, all they do is nowadays it's video and focus on one team and the Flames had no answer. And Drysaddle's not even 100%. Like, I know there's a lot of hype on McDavid, and rightfully so. But what Leon Drysaddle did in that series, 17 points in five games, that's, you know, that ties the NHL record for most points in five games. Uh, Rick Middleton had 17, and then he finished with 19 in the uh, in that seven-game series in 83. But Drysaddle, to me, it's just, it, it's funny how he almost got overlooked because of McDavid's greatness. Well, I think that's the case almost every year, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, like whatever Dreisaitl does, it's, oh yeah, but McDavid's, you know, more, more, he's probably, McDavid's probably got more points over the long run. Two, he does it in such spectacular fashion that who's going to, you know, I mean, what's the highlight? What, it's not a, it's not a Leon black backhand pass through traffic to somebody that taps it in. It's McDavid's hundred foot rush that he's got the fenceman spinning around in a circle. Um, the fact that he was able to do it and figure out how to do it, not healthy is, is really something because it's hard to play when your head is on your health. 
like every time I'm, I'm sure he tweaked that ankle a couple of times and went, Oh my gosh, this really is killing me, but you've got to get past it somehow. I mean, there's a, there's a toughness to that, like an internal toughness. Of course, his ability is, I mean, his, the way he can shield people and then out of the shield, make the pass that he can make the, who scored the power play goal last night? The one timer I'm trying to think, uh, McDavid made this Bouchard. Unbel- no, it was a one-timer off uh, dry sidle pass. Oh, it was Hyman. It was a one-timer that oh. Hyman in the shin pads. Um, but McDavid spins away from a good player in Backland on the boards. And you're like, man, like people can't do that. They can't do that. And then he gets it to dry sidle and it's in and out of the pocket so fast. Calgary's power play can't respond like what dry did in that moment gets overshadowed by what McDavid did on the boards. And I think it's probably a, a way in general to, to think about what dry does. When I watch him play, I'm mesmerized by that door that he uses. Like I just, I cannot <laughs> stop looking at the thing yeah. and how he makes the play out of both sides, front and back, the way that he shoots the puck. He's so strong. They're, they're a matchup disaster for any team, whether they play them together or apart. Like how, how do you, how do you slow them down? Calgary's only chance really, I thought was out of the series most of the time. And that's Chris Tanev like was to, he's big and long and he covers lots of room, but he wasn't healthy and didn't play much. And the other guys just, it it turned out to be no match. Ray, you mentioned the matchup headache and, it was interesting to see Jay Woodcroft's touch as things weren't quite right in the first period. He moves Kane down to the second line. Hyman comes up. And, you know, I, I think my question for you is, Ray, to, you know, to, did you see this coming? Like, I don't think anyone saw the Oilers winning in a short series. You know, maybe you could make the case ahead of time that they'd win in a long series with, with the stars that they have. But you, you've watched enough Oilers games this season you know, and, and especially against the Kings in the first round, I was like, where did this maturity come from? You mentioned buy into a hard way to play. There's also this mental toughness that they showed with all the different things that they went through in the series down four goals. Like it was like, yeah, so what we're going to come back in game one. They came back from four goals twice. Who Like I, I didn't see the maturity level for this team coming. How does a team develop that over a playoff run? I, well, you get some success, you get some. And so that success gives you a little belief. You, you do it once. So you think you can do it again. Um, I know, I know Duncan Keith has just taken it in the teeth there all season long. He seems to be like, you know, the price was too high. The salary's too high. It's not about making a speech. It's about when things go off the rails so far that you just keep doing your job. And I think that's one thing that Keith has always done. Look, he's not the most vocal guy. He's not the most, he's not going to give up any great speeches, but whether he gets beat or not, he's just plowing ahead. He's been there before, but the guy to me that helps build that whole mindset you're talking about more than, more than anybody is Zach Hyman. I am an enormous Zach Hyman fan. I think he's an 11 out of 10 as a person. Um, There is no battle that's too small that he's not going to fight on the ice. He thinks he can win every puck battle, even when he doesn't have a chance. 
And so if you're playing with him, it becomes infectious. I think Toronto really missed Hyman. I mean, I know why they couldn't keep him because there's $6 million of reasons why they couldn't keep him. So that belief builds through players like that. And then your best players, they have seen that the other way to play isn't the right way. It, it's, it's, not, it's funny. It's not the wrong way, but it's not the winning way. And, and so maybe the best example of this um, that I can think of in my NHL career is two of them, really, uh, is Brian Trotche back in the 80s and Patrice Bergeron. Like there is, there are more flashy players, there are more skilled players, but there's a right way that drags your team in and you become the example whether you think you are or not. Hyman is that for the Oilers. It's interesting because I don't know that anyone necessarily thought of him, Ray, kind of coming in as that heartbeat engine, you know, sort of player that could help move this team forward. And then to see the production ramp up and then at this time of the year, well, I mean, obviously the Leafs didn't really get that opportunity in round two, but to see Hyman, um, you know, step up in key moments has really been something to watch. Well, I, I did. Um, so over the last however many years, I've done 25 to 27 Leaf games a year. So I watch Zach Hyman from three feet away and I watch him come back to the bench. And no matter what's going on, he's got the same look on his face. Like he's just focused. He's dialed in. He's not emotional. He's not up and down. Um, he just plows straight ahead. He came into the league. He was going to be a checker. He was on their, on their third line, their matchup line. And then eventually they said, you know what? We got we to gotta get somebody that can get the puck to Matthews. Like we've got to find a way to get the puck off the wall to the game's best, you know, one of the game's best shooters. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, he was wasted on the third line because he can make a play. He can skate. He can take a hit to make a play. And he retrieves the puck. I think it better than anybody else in the league. I, I can't think of a guy right now that does it more and does it better than Hyman. And so he becomes, his effort becomes an example. Like to him, it's no different. Like it's just the game. That's how he plays. If I can guarantee you in summer hockey, Zach Hyman is terrible. He's one of the worst players in the game because that's not his game. There's a, like, what's he going to do? Dangle toe drag around guys. It's not going to happen, but you put the puck on the ice for real. I want him on my team. Right. Let's get to the uh, Carolina uh, Rangers series. Of course uh, it's, it's been a Homer series. It's amazing that Carolina has uh, yet to lose at home and yet to win on the road. And, and obviously the Rangers are hoping that continues. Um, you mentioned there's no space out there. You like there's, there seemingly is, is a lot of skill. Now there's no McDavid skill or dry settle on either team, but what, what, what has to happen for that to change? Is it just a system thing? And ultimately is that Carolina's best chance to win is by playing that way? Well, I don't think Carolina can change the way they play, Jason. Um, they are extremely fast. Like when you watch them play, they are, it's like the pace of what they play at is just remarkable. Like it really, really is. They're built for two things. They're built to check and they're built to play from in front. If they get behind in a game, they got, they got problems. They get down to nothing, man. That's going to be a long, that that's going to be tough for them. 
They've got five 20 goal scores and two 30 goal score, scores. It's, it's depth all up and down their lineup. They have a tremendous defense. Um, Jacob Slavin, I know people talk about him, but oh my gosh, man. Like, I'm sure he's made a mistake in the series. I just can't recall it. Uh, Brett Pesci is really a very good player. Brady Shea has had a terrific playoff. These are all big space eaters that can skate. So it's tough to score against them. They don't give up any goals. They gave up 200 in the regular season. But this home-to-road thing, I think, has now taken on a life of its own. Like, it's impossible to be that great at home and suck that badly on the road. Like, it's the same team. You just change the jerseys. The matchups that they get at home are really advantageous. So if, for example, if they were playing the Oilers um, and, and, and Jay Woodcroft decided to play the mcdavid Drysidle group together, Every shift in Carolina, they would get Shea and Slavin or uh, Shea and Pesci on the blue line, Fost, Stahl, and Niederreiter. Every shift. And they're all big and they're all in the way and they all can skate. And so then they, they take out, in a lot of cases, the top line of a team. And then it's just a grind a thon with everybody else. Their power play last night scored. They were nine for 89. In the previous 26 games, like, good gracious, like, like, it's it's hard to believe. So I don't think they can change. I I am stunned that they have not won on the road. And it's not sustainable because eventually you're going to lose at home. Like, you know, like if, if you play blackjack, you're not getting blackjack every hand, right? You're, you're going to lose eventually. And then they got these, you know, do you think, do you think Tampa cares where they play? No chance, right? They just steamroll straight ahead. And so Tampa's rested. They're getting healthy. They're not going to have point. It doesn't sound like, but um, I I think Carolina's a, Carolina's a problem for, for, for teams to play because of the speed they play at. So the Rangers, if if they're going to come back here and win the series, obviously they got to win game six at home and then go on the road into Carolina and win game seven. What do you feel they need to do, Ray? And what, what stood out to you from a Ranger perspective? Uh, well, a couple things. What they need to do is they need to find the real Artemi Panarin and, and they need to uncloak him because his style of play, you know, like you can make the mental picture of him getting the puck out in the neutral zone. He gets over the blue line and he pulls up and he looks for those cross seam passes. It's impossible against Carolina because they literally, they thunder back their back pressure. He's got no time. So it's like the pace of the game has taken him out of the game. They've got to find a way to get him on track. Chris Kreider had, has had two shots total in games one, two, and five. He yeah. had eight in games three and four. Like he scored 52 goals. He had 253 shots. Like that can't be. Like if they're going to get back in, you know, to even the series, those two guys in particular have to be really good. The Of their big guys, Mika Zibanejad has had a, a really impressive run here. I, I The points might all, not always be there, but he's around it all the time. He's used, he's big and he's, I, I've been really impressed. Uh, and of course, uh, the best goalie in the league this year is Igor Shosturkin. I mean, I know what Vasilevsky's done right now, but start to finish, it's been Shosturkin and he's going to have to 
he's going to have to be great. I just, I don't see any way that they win if he's just a so-so player. And so that's what I think to get back in. What's impressed me? Do you know how young these guys are? Yeah. They have four defensemen under age 24. Four of them. Like Braden Schneider, they called him up in January because they had a bunch of injuries and they haven't been able to send him back down. He's 20. Keandre Miller's 22. Fox and Lindgren are 24. Up front, uh, Heedle's 22. Kako's 20. Uh, Lafreniere, who's really come on, he's 20. Like, they're so young. I think they're ahead of schedule. Like, I, I think their season is an unqualified success at this point. If they can win two more games, holy. And like, this is, this is found money for the Rangers, in, in my opinion. Totally agree with you, Ray. I think the Rangers are going to be good for a long time now moving forward. I mean, starting with Shesterkin on out, and you consider how young he is, too. Um, last one for me, we know you need to run. Um, which, which streak ends, if any? Does Carolina find a way to win on the road, or do the Canes lose at home? This is how sure I am of this, Frank. Um, <laughs> after game four, I was certain the Rangers were going to win game five. They got 15 shots. So I was like, oh, yeah, you really know the game, don't you? There you are. That's a solid thing. I, I think Carolina is going to go in and win because I think they're too good to keep losing on the road. Like if I'm Rod Brindamore, I go in there and go, guys, is this silly to anybody else? Like we're better than this. We won 25 times on the road this year. Like we could do this. And and he's incredulous. Like when the He's a really cool guy to talk to because he's so matter of fact, you'll say like, you know, like how, how, you know, you guys didn't win last night. Yeah, we were, we were no good. We like couldn't make a pass. Like he just, he's so honest and he, he's like, I don't get it. He's like, we play great for 40 minutes, take two penalties. We give up a power play goal. We're the best power play or penalty killing team in the league. And then we lose. And you're like, well, how did that happen? So I, I think they're going to win game six. But I could be as wrong as I was 24 hours ago when I thought the Rangers were going to win the game five. Well, you've had the best seat in the house for that series, and you've had a really close eye on the Rangers all playoffs long, doing a lot of that series as well. Ray, thanks so much for your time. Great to have you. Great to talk a little playoffs and uh, hope to run into you in a rink uh, sometime soon during these playoffs. Yeah, it will happen for sure. I hope you guys are great, and uh, thanks for having me on. Check in sometime, anytime. Always great to have Ray on the pod. Uh, still, my favorite analyst, and being honest, uh, you know, going back, uh, you know, for, he's doing it for so many years. He just the little things that he picks up in the game are are fantastic. And um, you know, obviously, he'll be doing the uh, the Eastern Conference Final, regardless of uh, whether it's New York or Carolina up against uh, Tampa Bay, Frank. And do you, do you think there's like from a from a better chance to dethrone the champs? Do you think New York or Carolina has a better chance? I think. Carolina. I just think they're going to be way more difficult to play against that home and road stuff. As Ray said, it's not going to matter to them. Tampa doesn't care where they play. They can play on Mars. They want a Stanley cup in the Edmonton bubble. Like they, they do not care, but I just think the Rangers make a bunch of mistakes that, you know, at varying points, the Tampa Bay lightning are just too good. They'd seize on them. They'd eat them alive. Carolina doesn't have necessarily the same star power up front. Um, to really maybe do that as well. I don't know. I, I just think um, 
when you look at a Car- Carolina Tampa series would be awesome. Yeah. We're going to get Tyler Amtrak, but I want to go back because you and I were both in Calgary last night. Uh, you stayed over. I made the, the drive home. So I was, I was listening again to a lot of the post-game comments and, you know, it was interesting. Connor McDavid, you know, openly says, Hey, I just didn't feel like I had it tonight for him. And he, you know, was just trying to get his legs going and, and things like that. And, and for McDavid, there was a few times where, you know, the puck bounced off his stick where you're just like, geez, I hadn't seen that all series. And so, you know, even the best of the best can, could not be on, but then when it mattered, he scored the biggest goal. So maybe not a surprise, but you, you, you talked a lot and, and, you know, Ray talked about that maturity process of the Edmonton orders and like last year against Winnipeg in four games, McDavid had four points, him and dry each have tw- each have 26 points through 12 games this year. Like it's not just the offensive totals, but it's just their play everywhere. And I know the dry saddles banged up, but I, I tweeted out the stat last night, uh, Frank, uh, in regards to David, that he's been on the ice for 38 goals. And by the way, he's only been on the ice for 11 against for anybody who's wondering. And that's in every situation. He's been on the ice for 38 goals so far uh, this postseason. St. Louis, and that's, and he's played 261 minutes. St. Louis has 38 goals, 671 minutes. New York, 37. Tampa, 36. Calgary, 35. Carolina, 33. Florida, the highest scoring team, only 23. Now, Colorado's the only team that's got more goals as a team, and they have 40. Like, it's really mind-blowing just how dominant McDavid and then Drysaddle. Like, Drysaddle outscores McDavid in that series. Like, it's crazy to me. It's... We definitely did not talk about Leon Dreisaitl enough in this series. Like I, I know he got his props in the end with the way that game five played out and, and the, that monster four point night and, and to do it on a night when McDavid sort of self assessed and admitted that he wasn't as good. It just shows the strength of the team really like Hyman was excellent all series long as Ray pointed out, Evander Kane, uh, they also got some of the other contributions, the Bouchard goal, you know, a couple Bouchard goals in this series. Um, you know, yes, a gets on the score sheet. Like it, it was, it goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about the Oilers sort of always having an answer. And it came at times from different people. You know, I asked this question of Leon post game. You were there as well. Um, to have that, I got to give some some credit to Jay Woodcroft to have that touch, you know, as, and, and maybe it, it was a little bit obvious to us that, you know, McDavid wasn't quite there and maybe Kane wasn't quite as good in that first period, but you, you start the second period and you take Kane and you swap him out with Hyman. And it sounds funny, but it, it was actually a huge, I, it, it felt to me like a little bit of a risk because Kane, Dreisaitl, and McDavid had been so, so good together to then take them and, and, and switch it up a bit. It gave them a different look, gave them potentially a little bit of a different matchup. And they also made that, that swap with Pugliarvi as well that you asked about, that it just, the feel, the in-game feel, it takes, I think it takes courage to break up something that's worked so well in an elimination game where it might look like you're the team that's changing things up a bit when you're the team that's in control three to one in the series. 
Yeah. And the other thing was he talked about Evander Kane. That was the matchup he wanted because Calgary was going backland against McDavid. So he wanted the Nugent Hopkins line and Kane's size and speed. And I think Evander Kane, who's leading the playoffs and goals, it probably gets overlooked how much Jay Woodcroft really appreciates his awareness defensively and, and just his size and speed. And so he wanted him up against the Kachuk line. And I'll say this, Frank, outside of game. He played one, really smart. Yeah. Kane like, played out, a really smart game five. Outside of game one, Matthew Kachuk's probably, I was listening to the Calgary sports shows and, you know, Kachuk was taking the brunt of it from people. Like they felt like he, after game one, didn't do enough. And, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, now he did score and, you know, Gaudreau was at least around and Gaudreau's just not going to be able to match McDavid, right? Like no one can, right? Like even Leon Dreisaitl gets overshadowed and Leon Dreisaitl has 26 points. Like, you know what I mean? So that's maybe unfair to expect Gaudreau to be as good as McDavid and, and they've never faced a line like that every shift like they did in the playoffs. So what do you think of Calgary and Kachuk and Gaudreau? Are they both coming back? Like they're both like, I would expect them to, but do you think both end up in Calgary or is there going to be a change there? I would think at least one of them is back. Like how could that team possibly make the argument that they're going to be as good or competitive next season? You know, it was interesting to hear the comments from Daryl Sutter post game as well saying like, you want to you want to criticize like I'll leave that to you to do because this team went further than anyone really expected and I was like well maybe it, it'd be easy to say that if you had said the the Flames lose in the second round before the season started you say oh okay they won a round pretty decent year for a non playoff team and they also won their division but the way the season unfolded being one of the top defensive teams having one of the best lines in hockey having two 100 point scorers and a 40 goal guy in Matthew Kachuk. Like, I don't know how you could feel anything but disappointed by the way that this played out. And I think, you know, I had always been sort of 50, 50 dependent on playoff success for the flames, whether Johnny Gaudreau would be back. Hmm. My gut is that he is not Matthew Kachuk as an RFA is a different story. And I think if you lose Gaudreau, I think you have to pay up for Kachuk. You know, I don't, I don't think you ever get equal value in trading him. So they're going to try with Johnny. They're going to try to keep the band together. I would think if they went to, you know, deep in the conference final or got to the Stanley Cup final, maybe he looks at it and thinks about it a little bit differently as having a real opportunity to win. And maybe he does anyway. Maybe he thinks that this is the place to do it. Um, I've just sort of always envisioned him being south of the border and and being closer to home. So um, it's it's going to come down to money. Like he's not. I I can say this with with confidence. I think I don't think Johnny Gaudreau is taking a below market deal to stay in Calgary. Okay, so. Do you think Calgary, at bare minimum, Frank, will at least trade his rights late to try to get something? Maybe. I mean, and, and does a team, if, if he wants to go to a top end team, is there a sign and trade? Because think about how many good teams have $10 million in cap space, you know, to add into their team, right? Like he could go to like Seattle or something like that if he wants. But, you know, if he wants to go to a competitive team, there's not a lot of them that can just take on a $10 million player, right? Without moving someone else. So I wonder, and because I agree with you, I, th- I think the fact that he has the, 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 the choice to just walk and, and and leave where the flames can just qualify Kachuk and at least go from there and negotiate that, you know, Gaudreau might, might seem like the more plausible guy to leave Calgary. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I just, I, I really wonder about that team 
what do they like? What do they look like next? Like this was, this was the best team that Brad tree living had built in Calgary. It is. They played to Daryl Sutter's identity all season long until this second round. And, and it, it somehow got flushed or went out the window. A lot of that, according to Sutter was what the Oilers did. And they made a lot of moves too. Like I'll never fault a team for move, you know, being aggressive at the deadline. You know, Callie Yarncroke finally showed up with a big game five. Um, Tyler Defoley had a really yeah, tough he, series. He, he was, was maybe their worst player. He like, and for a smart player with experience that had scored a ton of goals at will in the playoffs last year, to see him play that way, I don't know if if there was something wrong with you know, is he hurt? Is he banged up? But he he made a lot. Even if he was hurt, he made a lot of really questionable decisions with the puck. That I just thought they they were off kilter. They were out of character. And sometimes that's because of what the opponent does. But, um, I, you know, it's, this is a hard series to digest if you're a Calgary Flames fan. Well, if you're a Flame fan, an older Flame fan, you're probably having nightmares because you're thinking, oh, here we go again, right? Uh, the Flames are a really good team, but the team up north has, like, they before they had Gretzky and Messier and all those guys, and now they've got McDavid and Drysaddle, and um, that's such an advantage. And so I know Bob Johnson and the Flames in the 80s, like, they built their team to win, but they needed a Steve Smith own goal to actually beat them in a series. And so I, I wonder... I just, you know, I don't know if I buy into that notion, though. Okay, you think do you think they could beat them, like... Well, I just think there's so much more parity now in the NHL that, you know, if you're going to sit there and be, woe is me this summer and say, oh, well, like, you know, how are we going to build a team here with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl right up highway two and in our kitchen and in our division? The game is so different now that any which year the Oilers could, even with those players, could lose in the first round. And, and oh, yeah. it, it just it's not what it once was where the better team always won in the series either. I don't know that on paper, the Oilers are the better. I don't even know still after the series, if they are, are they, yeah. I they, think they I were the say, better I, team in the series, but how, if you play that series 10 times, how many of them does Calgary win? I don't know. I really don't know the answer. Yeah. The, the one thing that I thought that I noticed in the series, Frank was Edmonton overall was faster. And I thought the speed at times, like there's some Calgary guys that just aren't fleet of foot. And I thought it stood out a little bit. Uh, but so, so, okay. And, and I think that's fair, but how many times did we have, um, you know, especially coming out of the bubble when the Oilers lost to the Blackhawks and, you know, how many times did someone, uh, some people tried to paint it on, on McDavid and dry side. Oh, I still, that still doesn't make any sense to me. The Oilers got like 876 goaltending in that series against <laughs> Chicago. Something yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. How do you good. win with Jacob Markstrom unable to stop a puck this series? Like I, you know, we were talking about this in the press box. He should have been pulled in game five as, as the, you know, they just kept trading. They needed to settle down and they could never get the stops from Markstrom necessary to do so. They could never get that, you know, sort of momentum halting save that kept them in it. I mean, his numbers, this series, I, I'm, I'm pulling them up quickly. I, I just, they were awful. Not only were his numbers awful, his confidence was, it was gone. And this yeah. is the guy that was the Vezina trophy winner, you know, or Vezina trophy finalist this year. You know, he, he finishes the series one, four and zero with an eight, five, two 
eight five two. How do you how do you possibly expect to win? Yeah, that's not uh, that's not ideal. Uh, not ideal for sure. And some what's funny about it is some of the games like games two and three, he gave up nine goals. I didn't even think one of them was bad. Like there, there was some high skill goals at times, but then there were a few goals that, uh, you know, you'd like your goalie to save for sure. And uh, it didn't happen. And now Edmonton moves on and uh, they wait, which is fine. It's kind of odd to say that the orders finished their series before Colorado did. I'm a little surprised by that. And, um, you know, selfishly, but I want to open see on a, the road regardless. Yeah. Selfish, selfishly, I want to see Colorado and, uh, and Edmonton. I, I think it'd be high octane, but I can't count out the blues, man. What they did in game five, I cannot count them out, especially at home. I think they extend that to seven. I really do. Oh, uh, it'd be something to watch for sure. I just, I think everyone's drooling of, you know, McDavid versus McKinnon, freak of nature, force of nature, wow. those two going head to head. It's just, and then dry. dry and, and, and by the way, by the way, with all due respect to, to Nathan McKinnon, Leon dry is the best number 29 in the playoffs so far. It is not even close. Yeah. Oh, he's got twice as many points. Yeah. hundred percent. And then like you throw in, there's not only dry and Kane and Hyman, there's, there's McKinnon and there's Kale McCarr, who's just in highlight reel and Miko Rantanen and Nazem Kadri. Like, man, there would be a lot of star power in that, uh, in that series, Frank. Uh, I bet the over every game Calgary and Edmonton and uh, got four out of five. I would, uh, I would tell you, right. I don't even know what the line's going to be, but I would bet over with Edmonton and Colorado. Let's uh, let's bring in Tyler Yemchuk. We had an interesting, uh, interesting little wager situation uh, the other night uh, as as Game Five was going on. Yeah, as uh, Frank, you had over two and a half goals for Nathan McKinnon in that series, and uh, you found a way to you found a way to squeak it out in uh, Game Five of that series, and we kind of called it on the Daily Faceoff Show, which was funny. That was awesome! Uh, what a night to watch hockey! Like that goal from McKinnon. Oh. Goal of the playoffs so far. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. All right. For, wait, I want to before we do fill in the blank. Frank, you said the Oilers start on the road no matter what. I actually had someone in my DMs asking: Is it based on points or is it based on the seed you are in your division? Because the Blues were a three seed in their division. It's. I believe it's based on points. Yeah, no, it's it's based on uh, points. Um, who, whoever has the highest point. Yeah, it doesn't matter what your seed is in your division. It's uh, whoever whoever had the most points in the regular season. Okay, there you go. All right, let's jump into fill in the blank delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Ding dong, ding dong is there. He is Liam. Promo code Rundown DD gets you twenty five percent off and no delivery fees on your first order over at DoorDash. Frank, I know you've been uh, using DoorDash since you've been on the road for so long oh. here in Canada. I was an absolute sloth after game five, came back to my room. I'm so ashamed of myself. <laughs> I, I it's, it's seven, uh, it's seven 30 in the morning and my room is just filled with regret. And for me that, that involves food and, uh, man came back to my room, wrote my story after game five, filed it at 10 of three in the morning mountain time. And when I came back, I was like, you know, I'm starving. I got to eat something. I didn't find the, uh, the meal at, at the Saddle Dome, all that, uh, all that appetizing. And, and so I ordered uh, a grilled cheese with bacon and tomato. But what I probably didn't need was the big vat of poutine that I got. <laughs> Just uh, like yes. I've got a poutine bowl here, the grilled cheese remnants are just ashamed of myself yeah so on the drive home i had the greatest chocolate bar ever a big turk and uh and uh, some some uh 
some sours because I need to eat something because just on the off chance, I've never fallen asleep driving, but uh, I was a little tired yesterday, but uh, gutted it out, Frank. But yeah, I was actually worried about you because I, I have I have fallen asleep driving. Oh, yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a, I, I, I almost I, killed my brother. Oh, yeah. Literally. Yeah, no, I, I worked in the oil field many years before I got into media. And so we used to have to drive all the time. So I just kind of got used to night driving doesn't bother me at all. I grew up on a farm. So it was like there's no light. There's no street lights anywhere. Right. So it's always dark. So I'm, I don't know why, but I'm driving at night doesn't bother me. And I don't ever really get tired. Thankfully, by the way, um, I I love telling this story. But uh, an NHL coach who was he's an NHL head coach right now, but he was in scouting circles for a long time and used to drive the prairies. And, uh, he said to me, you know, the key to staying awake at night while you're driving, he said, every now and again, when you get a little sleepy, he said, reach up and pluck a nose hair. He said, it just gives you a shot of adrenaline. Like you wouldn't believe. And I was like, wow, that is next level. That's probably true, man. Just bring a pair of, uh, uh, some, uh, uh, tweezers with you everywhere you go. So veteran move. All right, let's uh, jump into fill in the blank here. One word answer only for this first one. The Battle of Alberta was blank. Jason? Um, eventful. Okay, that's a good one. Frank? Breathless. Yeah, I like that. My, my word would be stunning just because every yeah. game it just oh. left you for some reason, whether it was an Oilers comeback a Mike Smith gaffe, whatever was going on. It just left you just stunned. Uh, circus circus would have applied as well. The no goal call on Blake Coleman for a kicking motion was the blank call. Frank? Wrong call. I Distinct is distinct. And that wasn't distinct to me. Like there, There's nothing in the rule book that says you cannot guide the puck in with your foot. Well, well it's funny that's the truth. Well, Blake Coleman, it, it, I'm not sure if you guys uh, heard his post-game press. He basically said he, he guided in, but he goes, I thought you were allowed to do that. You just didn't kick. So, man, I, I'll be you honest. Are. I the, yeah, I was in the press box. I thought that they were they were going to count it, but I was sitting by Kevin Carius. And after, you know, I'm watching the review and I said, hey, the longer this goes, that benefits Edmonton. Usually the longer it goes, it's because they're like, geez. And then you watch it and you watch it. it yeah. What amazed me, two things amazed me about it. A, they overturned it, but then B, the amount of order fans that were in the building, because when the call was overturned, there was more cheering than booing. I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, was I think that's because they got the, I think Flames fans thought they heard the wrong thing and they started okay. to cheer because they thought it was a goal. And even if you watch, so McDavid was right near the referee's crease there and he sort of put his head down and skated away. I was standing with Craig Button. He goes, oh, McDavid knows for sure. It's not, it's, it's a goal. And yet then they were, we all looked at each other. We were like, how? Because I, even if you think that it is a distinct kicking motion, I just don't know that it's conclusive enough, Jay, to overturn yeah. it. Well, and the fact that it was going in anyway, that's the part where I thought I'm like, I, I thought they might say, well, even if it's kicking, if, if he doesn't touch it, it's going in. But uh, um, yeah. you know, I think it was Craig Button said, hey, you know what? Yeah, maybe maybe the wrong call, but the right team run that won the series. So, and I would probably agree with him with that. I think Edmonton was the better team start to finish. Yeah, that's fair. The quote from uh, the quote from Daryl Sutter after the game too. He just said, at some point, he just shrugged and said, "Whatever." <laughs> <laughs> that's fair as well. Uh, let's go out to the East. The Canes versus Rangers series will end in blank games. Frank six. 
Carolina will win on the road at long last and they'll flush that issue. And I think they'll continue to be good at home no matter what in the second round or third round, not guaranteeing that they win all their home games. But I think at least to get that monkey off their back and stop thinking about winning on the road or trying to will be a big benefit. Just think Monica Geller, guys. Seven, seven, seven. So I will. You're going to need f- to explain that. That's a friend's reference, Frank. One of the greatest orgasmic scenes ever. Literally, she's uh, talking to Chandler, explaining him about all the uh, erogenous zones for women. And she's like, one, telling him because he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Like he needs a map. And she's like, one, two, one, four, three, four. And then she's like, seven, seven. It's like, oh, so it's a classic scene. Uh, New Yorkers would love it. So I will say seven. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm not necessarily asking for a prediction here, but more of just a general take, a double whammy. I was going to have the Jeopardy daily double thing to play here, but I forgot. Uh, Blank is a great fit to be the head coach of blank next season. Huh? You got to see where I'm going here. A little coaching matchmaker, Jason. That's a good question. Um, I'm going to say Rick Tockett. Is a good fit for the Dallas Stars. Oh, that's cheating. We know that they already tried to hire him at the All Star break already. Do we? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's been it's been out there and reported oh. in the last few weeks too. Oh. They actually had talked contract and everything. Well, that's perfect fill in the blank then. <laughs> well, that feels like some low hanging fruit that was fraudulently. Okay, well, then, then another one I would go on by you. Uh, another one then I would go with is. Um, uh, Barry Trotz is a good fit for the Detroit Red Wings. I know everybody's going to think I was going to say Winnipeg, but I'll go Detroit. Veteran coach with a young up and coming team. I, I don't mind that. Frank, what's your take? I just, I think the other part of um, Barry Trotz and his search is about trying to find a management role for after his career is done coaching. And he wants to have more input as well into hockey ops decisions. I just don't, I don't see Steve Eiserman yielding that in any way. So I don't know for me. I don't know if that's a fit. I'm going to say. He lost well, for beak. Yes. But, uh, Steve Eiserman runs a tight ship and Steve Eiserman does what Steve Eiserman likes. So, yeah, um, fair. okay. You mentioned Rick Tockett. I still don't understand for the life of me why Rick Tockett is not a perfect fit for the Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> but are the Flyers a perfect fit for Rick? Who? Yeah. Well, but like, who knows that market better than Rick Tockett? No, like, oh, yeah. no totally one. Valid. And he's a damn good coach. Like, I don't know if they feel like, you know, they're, I, my guess just in reading the tea leaves is that they don't want to hire Rick Tockett because they don't want the criticism from people in the marketplace saying that you only hire your own. Mm. They also want to get the biggest name possible and they're willing to pay. So I, I wonder if John Tortorella ends up in Philly, I could see him being a good fit. And I also feel like in some ways torts and his personality were made for that city as well. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a pretty nice uh, fit between those two. All right. Uh, wrapping this thing up with the points bet bonus question. Points bet is now live in Ontario. The Colorado Avalanche are the favorites to win the Stanley Cup at plus 150. The Tampa Bay Lightning are behind them at plus 200. Who do you consider the Stanley Cup favorite right now, Frank? 
Tampa, and I don't understand why Colorado's ahead of them. Tampa has shown no excuse or no reason to this point as to why they are not the favorite. They dispatched a, a good Leaf team in seven games. Vasilevsky's the best closeout goaltender on the planet. They're going to get some rest for a team that's played more hockey than anyone. And until proven otherwise, like Colorado, I think still has a little like they they're also like, not in the third round yet. <laughs> Well, they're not in the third round yet, but they also feel like a, that game the other night against the Blues, and, and I know game six is coming up, but game five, they just felt a little choky. They should have won that game four different times. Jay, who's your cup favorite? God, it's so... It's, I'm actually going to say Colorado because uh, I understand why. Like They're just so dominant. And like Nathan McKinnon up until game five had kind of been quiet. Nathan McKinnon is normally, you know, just off the charts in the postseason, And he hasn't been yet, but I think he's going to be. So I will say Colorado. And uh, I'll throw you a little bonus bonus question here. So back in February, Oilers fired Dave Tippett, hired Jay Woodcroft, and they win their first four games under Woodcroft. I was uh, looking at my sports book the other day and a Friday night. And based on the time I placed this wager, I assume I had a few, um, but I put $20 on the Oilers to win the cup back in February when they were 40 to one, they're giving me a cash out option of $200, but the bet would pay out 820. If I let it ride, would you cash it or let it ride? It's only 20 bucks, but there's another part of me that's like, ah, 200. That's not bad either. I would cash it out. You're making 10 times the money, right? Uh, you look, I at would see if the Oilers can win a game one, Jay, and like that number will, you know, kind of keep going up. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, at this point, you know, it all, it all depends on um, what, what is your, what's your, your assessment of risk, right? And anytime when you make the bet, do you have a plan on, okay. Cause I, I know obviously when you make long-term bets like that, yeah. I, I think what you need to do is say, okay, if I ever get this offered to me, I'm taking it regardless. And then you will never have to worry about it because the emotion, I think right now, when you look at Edmonton and you see, geez, look at McDavid and Drysdale, they could win. And there's a legit reason to believe that. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, and the thing is McDavid, like McDavid's doing, he's infinitely better in the postseason than he was in the regular season. He was damn good in the regular season. That's what's crazy about it. Oh, it's a tough call. It is a tough call. All right. That's going to do it for another edition of fill in the blank delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Ding dong. Frank, before we go uh, quickly, what are you hearing about Vegas? And because uh, I know you had that, uh, you know, you didn't think Barry Trotz was going to go there. So what, what type of coach are they looking for in Vegas? A winner. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. They want someone who wins. Um, so who's who does that then? Like, who are the? Who well, are the I think their list, I don't know how deep it goes, but I think it's some variation of Paul Maurice, Rick Tockett and Barry Trotz. Yeah, I you know I don't think they're 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 going to go with a, a rookie coach or someone that doesn't have the experience or who hasn't been in a winning situation before. Um, I think they're going to try and push to, you know, I, I think they'd love ultimately to get Barry Trotz. I don't know if it's going to work out. Yeah. Um, so uh, do you think Paul Maurice is ready to come back to the league? I think in the right situation, the right opportunity is yes. 
Okay. It's uh, the, uh, the coaching carousel will be uh, very interesting. Also a uh, quick shout out to the, uh, the world hockey championships, Frank. Um, uh, we could see a Canada us, uh, us uh, crushes uh, Switzerland in the, uh, in the quarterfinal, they'll take on the Finns. You've got uh, Canada taking on Shakia in the uh, semifinals. And I don't care anytime you can have a chance for Canada us uh, in a final. It is uh, it's must uh, it's must see TV. So uh, a little shout out to the uh, world championships, uh, world hockey championships for the men. Uh, you, Usually we know the women. It's always Canada, U.S., which is great. Uh, so uh, hopefully we'll see it uh, on the uh, North American front for the men at the uh, at the World Championships over in Finland. Although those Finns, Frank, I don't know what it is about them in international tournaments, man, but they don't lose very often. They're so damn pesky, and obviously it's in their home country, so you can't. That's going to be a tough matchup for USA. They grind. Um, I just it, just another reminder, Jay, of like one of the real soul crushing things of this season is the fact that we didn't get an Olympics best on best U S Canada. Like it still hurts. Yeah. And I'd imagine it really hurts for team USA to finally get that really good team assembled. Austin Matthews in the middle of a 60 goal season, all these players that, you know, the U S has been building for so long to finally take on Canada and McDavid and McKinnon and Crosby. Like it would have just been insane. I, I still, it's, it's gotta be the big regret of the season. I just don't know that the NHL feels the same way. Yeah. Oh, I would agree with you. I know fan bases are, are annoyed. And uh, even though we're in the throes of the Stanley cup playoffs um, soon to be only four teams remaining, and then we'll get into more as a well, heck we're almost into June, Frank. So there'll be uh, lots of the off season issues uh, heating up in June. Now have yourself a, a good weekend, uh, get home safe and uh, we'll talk to you next week. The Edmonton Oilers are in the final four. Amazing. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.